I'm excited to, to be ministering still the same. What are you all trying to usually get my attention? I always forget something, but anyway. Yeah, one thing I'm excited about uh, is our, the young group of individuals we have in this church. Not that I'm not excited about the older folks, but you'll understand where I'm going with this. Is generally, the, the younger generation wants to be so different. The thing that excites me about your church is that the younger generation coming up, they want the old hymns, and they want preaching. Y'all are just fantastic. I love it. And if we can get this younger generation to fall in love with Jesus Christ and with preaching and with the old hymns and with the old paths, I think we'll be all right. Take your Bible if you have one this morning, Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, look at a couple of verses and try to paint a picture in your mind this morning of a very familiar story that you all know, Isaiah chapter 9. When you find your place, would you stand Isaiah chapter 9? I'd like to read two verses, verses 6 and verse 7. I will start at verse 5 just because verse 5 is cool. Amen? It's a cool verse. <laughs> if you're a Bible believer and you're a man, you like this, these, these kind of things. Amen? Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 5. The Bible says, For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise. <laughs> and that's truth. That's Christian life. It's a stinking battle, and there's a lot of noise. <laughs> Amen? And with confused noise, and that's what I see going around all, there's just all this noise trying to confuse you, trying to get you uh, all worked up in so many different directions. With confused noise, look at this, and garments rolled in blood. Can I just say practically your Christian life is not only a battle, there's lots of noise, but it's one of the bloodiest battles you'll ever fight in your life. And garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. Of course, talking about when the Lord burns this world up. Amen? It's going to happen. No matter how much snow is on the ground, He's going to burn it up. Verse 6, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. By the way, just like the twelve tribes of Israel were on the shoulder of the high priest, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I'd like to preach and give you a little story today about the greatest story ever told. Not the greatest storyteller, because it surely ain't me, but the greatest story ever told, penned by the author of the Scriptures, the Holy Ghost of God. Brother Jared, would you ask the Lord's help as we go into the Word of God today? You may be seated. 
Most of us are very familiar with the nativity of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I begin and I look through the Gospels, many things come to mind. Matthew and Luke, they tell us different details about the nativity. Interesting enough, the book of Mark is silent about the birth of Jesus Christ. And it starts with the ministry of John the Baptist, where the book of John is also silent about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, beginning with the ministry of Jesus Christ. But Matthew and Luke, they kind of interweave a beautiful artistry piece penned by the Holy Ghost of God himself, supplying details in Matthew and details in Luke. And I'd like to just go through that great story with you telling you many things that you already know, maybe a refresher, maybe something that will challenge you this morning, this great story. If I begin this morning, I'd have to begin with Matthew's account. And of course, Matthew's account, uh, you can follow along there. Uh, I will not always pinpoint every verse, but it begins with the espousal of Mary and Joseph. And uh, they're espoused together. And before they consummate the marriage... Amen. The Bible says that Mary had been found with child of the Holy Ghost. I don't know if you could think about it for a minute this morning, but can you picture in your mind that situation that took place so many years ago? Your beautiful, gorgeous, lovely bride says, By the way, Joe, (laughs) I'm with child, (laughs) and it ain't yours. (laughs) You see where we're at. Now, I know there was a little bit of advanced revelation given to Joseph to kind of let him know, right? But here's the thing. Joseph, instead of throwing away Mary like a piece of trash, he could have done it. There were provisions under the law to get rid of Mary. He could have just flushed her. He could have let her go. He could have put her away privately, the Bible says. And as you know, he didn't do that. Why? He was a just man. He was a private man. He was a thinking man. Imagine that. He was a man that thought. We can all learn lessons about a thinking man. He was a clean man. He was an obedient man. He listened and said, Lord, I know we touched on some of this last week, but it's good to show you this again. And what Joseph does is he listens to the Lord. And by listening to the Lord, he allows the Son of God to come in through his line and thus fulfill Scripture. The Bible says, A virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son You know, Matthew alone tells of the wise men. The only account in the Bible tells of the wise men. And Bible believers, they're they're careful to criticize everyone about the wise men. Well, how do you know there was three? Well, you don't know there was three. You just know there was gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, There could have been 30. I don't know. And ever since, well, the wise men, they don't belong at the nativity scene. I, I get that. They came along later, but it's all right. Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Amen. Instead of being critical, why don't we just stop and consider what Matthew tells us about the wise men. I think many times the Lord's given us, He's given us absolute truth this morning, hasn't He? Are you thankful for the truth? Sometimes people need a good representation of the truth instead of a bat to beat them over the head with the truth. Matthew alone tells us of the wise men that came from the east. I don't know if you can think about it, but imagine the wise men show up in the, the account of Matthew, and they show up to Herod, and Herod, is uh, he is the quote-unquote king of the Jews set up by the Roman government there, and uh, the wise men show up and say, we're looking for the king of the Jews, and by the way, it ain't you. <laughs> he was a little bothered. 
he was a little troubled, the Bible says. That news that the, the wise men brought troubled that king because uh, it, what happened is uh, Herod found out that he wasn't the real king. And you know what often bad news does to you and I? It troubles us, doesn't it? It reveals to us that we're really not as solid as we thought we were. It reveals to us that we're not really as strong. Uh, many times bad news reveals to us that we're really not as important as we thought we were. But it troubles Herod. It troubles him. And the news of another king, imagine someone having my throne. Imagine someone sitting in a place where I deserve and I've politicked and I've got all the right votes and I've put all the money and now someone else really needs to be in that place. Well, this trouble, what it did is it revealed Herod's great inferiority complex. He did. He's worried about his job. A lot of Christians today have a great inferiority complex when trouble comes. They get to thinking inwardly instead of upwardly. This trouble caused Herod to be demanding. You see, when the wise men come to Herod, uh, all of a sudden he begins to demand. When they say, we're looking for the king of the Jews, he gets upset and he gets out of his mind. He becomes inferior in his thinking. He begins to demand of those wise men, hey, what do you know? Where is he at? And how can I get to know him better? He becomes demanding. You know, when you get into trouble sometimes, all of a sudden you begin to demand things of others. This trouble also revealed Herod's hidden motives. It also showed Herod to be devious, dishonest, and very destructive. You say, why destructive? Because Herod at this point in time was willing to destroy an entire generation of young male Jewish babies. Why, you say? Just so he could preserve his own throne. Just so he could preserve his own livelihood. Just so he could preserve his own family. You ever stop and think that many times trouble will come your way and when that happens, your inferiority complex shows and your hidden motives begin to be revealed one by one and they're destructive and they're deadly and all of a sudden you often default to your family. I love my family. You mess with them, you find out that I'm not a nice guy. The pastoral position kind of slowly, quickly fades away, and I become this brute beast, as the Bible would call it. Amen. And if I mess with your family, you ought to get the same way. But at the point, sometimes the Lord's trying to get our attention, and we often default to protect our family instead of doing what God wants us to do. You say, what does this have to do with Christmas? I'll get to it in a minute. I'm preaching through the greatest stories ever told through the Bible. But this news that troubles Herod reveals his hidden motives. It reveals... What an inferior complex he has. And uh, the very news, what you need to take away from this part of Matthew is the very news that troubled Herod. The very news is that there was a real king in town. Well, it made the wise men rejoice. You ever stop and think about that? They were rejoicing over what they were about to find, and he was troubled about it. Well, these wise men knew the real king, and you know what? These wise men, they didn't come just to find out something like the Athenians uh, who like to hear and find out something new. The wise men came to worship Jesus Christ. Can I ask you this morning, I know it was painstaking travel, and I believe, like I said, the Lord records every mile, every penny you spend on gas, but why did you come this morning? Did you come to worship Jesus Christ? Did you come to get a hold of Jesus Christ? I believe most of you did. But the wise men, they came to worship Jesus Christ. And you know, when they found him, they gave of their time. Wise men gave of their talent. 
and they also gave of their treasure. And after partaking of his presence with the little child in his house, the interesting thing is having been around the Son of God and having had that time of personal fellowship, giving of their time, talent, and treasure, they are then enabled in a position to listen to the directions and warnings of God. Many times as a Christian, we don't listen to the Lord. Amen? We don't heed the warnings of what God says in the book. And we know the warnings are there. You say, why? Probably because we don't spend the time with Him that we know we should. But the wise men spend time with the Lord. They give their time, their talent, their treasure. And then after partaking of His presence, they're now in a position to heed the warnings. And notice your Bible talks about in Matthew chapter 2, that God warns them, they hear the warning, they heed the warning, and then they go another way. You say, what's so big about that? Listen, when you have an experience with Jesus Christ, you'll come in one way and you'll leave another. I want you to get a hold of that this morning because even Ezekiel chapter 46, and who in the world reads Ezekiel? Ezekiel 46, you have the layout of the millennial temple, and in the millennial temple, that Jew, he comes in one way, to worship Jehovah God, but he can't leave the way he came. Isn't that a blessing? That man that goes into the millennial temple in Ezekiel chapter 46, he comes in one way, he worships God, and he has to leave a different way. We're saying this, we don't care how you got here, we're glad you got here, amen? Snow, snow shoes, uh, ice skates, snowmobile, four-wheel drive, no-wheel drive, bald tires, we don't care how you got here, just don't leave the way you came, spiritually. Doesn't matter how you got here. Doesn't matter what your past is. Can I say that again? Don't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what you've done. How many people I talk to say, well, if I walked in the door of the church, I get struck with lightning. Man, the Lord ought to kill every single one of us. Every single one of us ought to be in hell with gasoline britches on, and you know it. Well, give me that God ought to strike me dead with lightning. It's the mercy of God that any of us have our being and have the breath of fresh air. Let me tell you, it don't matter what you've done. It don't matter where you've been. It don't matter how bad of a person you've been. I'll tell you what, it don't matter how you got here. Just get a hold of Jesus Christ and don't leave the same way. Don't leave the same way. You know, everyone says this whole modern terminology is, just come as you are. Just come as you are. Okay, fine, I don't care. Come as you are, but don't leave the same way you came. Come here purpose to get a hold of Jesus Christ, even if you don't even understand the full estimation of what I just said. Just come get a hold of God, and He'll lead you in a different manner. He'll get you out of here a different way than what you came. As Matthew chapter 2 closes, you notice that the wise men, they're leaving in a different direction. Not only that, but in Matthew 2, as it begins to close, Mary and Joseph leave a different direction. Why? Well, they've been around the Son of God too. But you know who doesn't change? It's Herod. The wise men change. Mary and Joseph change. The wise men directions change. Mary and Joseph directions change. But as Matthew chapter 2 closes, Herod's disposition stays the same. He stays just the way he always was. That's just who I am. And you're just going to have to accept it. And you're just going to have to deal with it. His deadly, destructive, and what he does? Well, he ends up killing lots of people. And he ends up taking his own life later on. 
Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25 says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. The end thereof are the ways of death. Christian, can I warn you today that if you don't come meet with God on a regular basis, you're headed for trouble. You're headed for I don't want you to be in trouble. I'm just, I'm just a young preacher just trying to sound out the warning, just trying to get people to fall in love with Jesus Christ. We sang about there ain't nothing better than Jesus, and I have to come to the grips and conclusion is that that's, that's the truth. There's nothing better than Jesus Christ. There's no job better than Jesus. There's no a place in this world, there's no financial place in my life that's better than just getting more of Jesus, and I need more of Jesus. That's Matthew's account. Mark's account, like we said, begins with the ministry of John the Baptist, and John's account begins with the ministry of Jesus Christ at 30 years old. Luke's account of the nativity of Jesus Christ begins with the birth of John the Baptist, born to Elizabeth and Zacharias, the priest there. While Luke 1 ends with the Lord dealing with Mary about carrying the Son of God, I often wonder, not because I have this crazy, goofy desire to wonder what it's like to be a woman, but I often wonder what it was like to be Mary and to have that angel visit her and say, you're going to be carrying my son. You want to talk about flipping out? I mean, you're sitting there and you're watching whatever you're watching on the television there, and the Lord said, hey, how you doing? By the way, this is going to happen, and I'm going to have you do something and you're going to be blessed among women, not above. The Bible says she was blessed above. The Bible says she was blessed among women. You want to know who's blessed above women? Jail. In Judges chapter 5, you want to know why? Because she drove a stake through some enemy's, uh, some uh, feller's head. <laughs> There's something to show certain people. But Mary, she was blessed among women. I've often wondered what it was like to be Mary and to have that angel say, you will be carrying my son. And by the way... Not everyone's going to be happy about it. You ever stop and think about the shame that it brought Mary? The shame that it brought Joseph? You realize when Jesus Christ, over in the book of John chapter 8, he's been in the ministry now for at least a year, maybe a year and a half. One of the things the religious leaders of their day, you know what they're still accusing Jesus Christ of? Being a bastard. He, they say in John chapter 8, we be not born of fornication. You know why? Little towns talk, don't they? Little towns don't forget what they think you did. Little towns, they don't forgive. And if they think they got some dirt on you, they're going to wait 30 years and they're going to bring it up and throw it in your face. And those religious leaders, those Pharisees and those scribes that were so white and they were as clean as a hound's tooth on the outside. When they get across from Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ begins through personal righteousness of his own to show them up. And the only thing they can say is, who will we be not born of fornication? You say, what did Jesus say? Nothing. He ignored it. (laughs) That's what you should do too. Someone comes at you trying to attack your character, just ignore it. Luke 1 begins with the Lord dealing with Mary about carrying the Son of God. And Luke 2 begins, as we preached last week the best we could, about the taxing of everyone gathering in that little town of Bethlehem. Isn't it interesting that that town of Bethlehem simply means house of bread? House of bread. Jesus Christ was born. They wrapped him in swaddling clothes on that cold, probably September evening. Begin to cool, the air began to cool. And the Bible says that 
She wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger. It wasn't in a cave. It was in a manger. Amen. And uh, Jesus Christ was born in that manger. You say, what's a manger? Well, that's a place where all the animals eat. Bethlehem is the house of bread. Over in John chapter 6 in the ministry of Jesus Christ, he would tell the world in John chapter 6 verse 38, he says, I am that bread of life. Isn't it interesting? He came to this world and was born in a manger, which is a place where all the beasts of the field would eat. And later he would declare himself to be the bread of life and the bread of heaven. And in John chapter 6, he delivered one of the most difficult uh, uh, dissertations he ever would give. And most of his disciples forsook him, the Bible says, in John 6, 66. But as he gave that thing, he says, all you got to do is eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. He's not talking about cannibalism. He's not talking about the Lord's Supper. He's not talking about, he's talking about a spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? He's the bread of life. He's the bread that came down from heaven, and he just happened to be born in Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. Well, you know all about it, and the reason he had to be born there, he couldn't be born in like General Hospital or something like that. But he had to be born that. We preached this last week because there was no room. And we preach this thing that there was no room for Jesus Christ at his birth. Interesting enough, you read through the ministry of Jesus Christ, there was no room for Jesus Christ in his life either. The more he did, the more they couldn't stand him. Let me tell you what, the more you grow as a Christian, the more this world will not put up with you. The closer you get to Jesus Christ, you have to remember, the closer you will get to the devil. The devil's not afraid of you. Nobody in this world is afraid of you. The closer you get to Jesus Christ, the closer you get to the devil, and the closer you get to Jesus Christ, the less this world will put up with you. Jesus Christ faced trouble. He faced trial. He faced persecution. And the closer you draw to Jesus Christ, doing routine duty stuff, like getting up, reading your Bible, praying, and doing just what... Not this stuff that makes you think you're a Christian, but the things that a Christian ought to do. This world will slowly begin to draw and hate you. Why? For it hated him first. Well, there's no room for Jesus Christ at his birth. There's no room for Jesus Christ in his life. And we know there's no room for Jesus Christ at his death. He even had to be buried in a borrowed tomb, the girl said. Now, one song, I'm not sure, I think it's a Morrison sister, the only thing he bought was me. He came to this world, sinless, Neither was guile found in his mouth. His mother laid him in a manger, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, put him in, a, uh, put him in a manger there. He didn't have any savings. He didn't have any property. He didn't have any possessions. Didn't have any Sunday school classes. Didn't have any outreach. Didn't have any ministries. He wasn't a great uh, uh, public speaker everywhere, but he'd do crowds everywhere he went. He wasn't accepted by the main. He wasn't accepted by uh, the right. He wasn't accepted by the left. And they end up crucifying. Why? There's no room for him in his death. And I think about this, it's even come to affect us, hasn't it? We have no room for Jesus Christ. Can I speak collectively as a people of America? We have, we've asked him to leave. We've asked him to leave our schools. Shake your head and let it rattle and make sure you're still awake. We've asked him to leave many of our family gatherings. We've asked them to leave our governments. We've asked them to leave our cities. 
We've asked them to leave our states, and of course, we've asked them to leave even our federal governments. And Jesus Christ is no Calvinist. You know what he will do? He'll not force himself upon you or me. You say, so what did Jesus Christ do? Well, he does what any good God does. He's left us alone. He's left us alone. You know, the most terrifying thing to me is at the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, a verse often used for salvation. But we've had no room for Jesus Christ as a country, no Jesus Christ as a state, as a city, as a township. But in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, the Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. And it gets to the point now, in 2022, where even the church has no room for Jesus Christ. Have you ever stopped to consider here this Christmas morning how we have a nation, we've lost our toughness. I'm not talking about, you know, Schwarzenegger and Stallone. and all. I'm not talking about that macho. You ever stop and think how we've lost our toughness? Now, y'all are the exception today. You should be able to amen real loud. But we've lost our toughness. There's things my old man would do that I can't do. I mean, there's, there's this timidity about our country. There's tim- I'm talking about Christians now. There's this timidity about being a Christian. And there's this timidity about the things of God. And we've lost the mental toughness. And uh, everything seems to steamroll us now. And everything seems to take more priority in life than Jesus Christ. And we wonder why things are a wreck. So because we've lost our toughness, we've lost our focus, which should be on Jesus Christ, right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, right? That's where it should be. You know that. We preach that. We believe it. We sing it. We pray it. But because we've lost our focus, then we have to create other diversions. And because our focus is wrong, then we have to say, well, now we need to focus on the family. We have to focus not only on the family, but... We've got to focus on the female. That's funny. Come on. Y'all ain't laughing at that one. Christmas dinner is just a few minutes away. We've got to focus on... It's alliteration F. Stay with me now. Man, y'all look like you're about ready to jump. You've got to focus on the family. You've got to focus on the female. You've got to focus on the finance. You want to know why we've got to focus on that? Because we stopped focusing on Jesus Christ. If your focus was right, you wouldn't have to focus on all that. If we still focus on Jesus Christ as a nation, we could look at the schools and say they're going the way they should. If we focused on Jesus Christ at a state level, we could see different things and say, yes, our focus is right. But since we don't focus on Him anymore, we don't focus on what came in that manger so many years ago, then we have to create diversions. We've got to focus on the family, the finances, and anything else that's alliterated with it. All because our focus is wrong. You say, why? No room. No room. The hymn says, have thine own way, Lord. And the Christian says, I'll have mine own way, Lord. I'll have mine own way. But even in the midst of that, where there's no room for Jesus Christ, I'm sure thankful that the Lord keeps knocking. He didn't walk away from the door in Revelation 3.20. He's still there. You want to know why you get frustrated sometimes? Because there's that gnawing in your conscience. There's that gnawing in the back of your mind. There's that gnawing. Why? It's Jesus Christ and He wants into fellowship with you. And He's just going to sit there and knocking until you say, Go away! Or come on in. 
And when you tell him to go away, he's like, that's fine, but wherever you go, I go. Because I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And the knocking many times, it's still there. It's just a little bit quieter, isn't it? And the more you ignore the knocking, the more the conscience will get seared. Until it's just a faint, like, is it raining out? All right, preacher, you can quit that. All right, you got it. But I'm thankful that he doesn't quit knocking. He's looking to have fellowship with you. And he calls to you many times. And in the moment where you turn the radio off in the car, right? Now, many of you, you get in the car, and the first thing you do is, whew, turn it up and turn it real loud. You know why? Because silence makes you face yourself. Silence makes you face who you are and what you need. And what you need is a relationship with Jesus Christ. So many times we go into the car and crank it up, get into the house, hey Siri, play my favorite playlist, or whoever it is, and whoo, ah, what, chasing away the what? The knocking of the Holy Spirit. I'm here. I'm here. I just want to have fellowship. I don't want to beat you up. I don't want to tear you up. I just want to have a meal with you. And some of y'all are really good cooks. I imagine the Lord's a great cook. I imagine at the marriage supper of the Lamb, there's going to be watermelons big as Volkswagens. Amen? I mean, there's going to be bacon at the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's funny right there. Thick cut. Like that thick. Amen? I mean, there's going to be like wheelbarrows full of gravy. Amen? But the knocking's still there. And you know, Jesus Christ, I believe, He says, look, I know there's no room for me in your life, and there's no room for me at your death, but I still have room for you. There's still room, he's saying. There's still time. Jesus is tenderly calling me home, calling today, calling today. Why from the sunshine of love wilt thou roam farther and farther away? Calling today. Calling today, Jesus is calling, is tenderly calling today. And he calls to you and he says, look, I know you don't have any room, no time for me, but I'll make room for you. I'll make room for a new relationship. I'll make room for some renewed fellowship. And by chance here, you're here today without Jesus Christ, he'll say, I'll make room for new sonship. There's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. Well, there's no room, but Jesus Christ is born. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in the manger. Bethlehem being the house of bread and manger is that trough meant to feed cattle because Jesus Christ was born not only to die but to be the bread of life and that very bread that came from heaven. Here in Luke's account, it's almost as like Luke chapter 2, he finishes with the wise men, he finishes with the, the, in Matthew, and he finishes with that spot with him being born in the manger there and the camera of the Holy Spirit slowly pans away to the distant country where the shepherds are. And of course, you know the story. The shepherds are in the same field, in the same country, abiding in the field. And you know, we learn some great lessons from the shepherds. And what we learn, first of all, is the shepherds are awake. The shepherds are at work. 
and the shepherds are watching over the flocks while the entire world sleeps. Here we learn the Lord will show up to those in the field, those keeping watch and those laboring in the night. You know, a lot of Christians, they say, well, you know, I don't feel as close to the Lord as I used to. They don't feel His presence. And could it be that they refuse to labor in the night? They refuse to go out into the field? They refuse to keep watch over what God's given them. Look, you and I, once we get saved, we're supposed to not only grow in grace, be built up by the Word of God, develop a pattern of good works because we love Jesus Christ, not because He's going to beat us with a stick, but then we're supposed to go without the camp, bearing His reproach. The reproach, for whatever reason, in this day and age, seems to have moved inside the church. It was never meant to be there. See, we all should be on the same page here, amen? There should be no schism, no division, no, no uh, you know, I, I don't like the way you look or I don't like the way you talk or I'm better at this than you. We should be all on the same page here. But it's once you walk outside that door that we bear the reproach without the camp. It's always been my desire as a preacher, only a, a preacher here for eight years, is, is to have a little old church and a little congregation that love God. That God along in the spirit of unity. And look, uh, you can't pick your family, amen? And when your family has troubles, you just got to work it out. And sometimes it takes time, doesn't it? And eventually, you get the chip off your shoulder, amen? My hand's in the air. And eventually, like, sorry, Blondie, I was a jerk. It's okay, Dad. We know you're a jerk. And we go on. We fix it up. But the reproach should be outside that door. Amen. When you walk out the door, you ought to feel the difference. Like when you back up, you ought to feel the camaraderie. You ought to feel the loyalty. You ought to feel the strength that you deserve. You can draw from one another. But the reproach is without the camp. Many Christians often don't feel His presence because they refuse to labor. Listen, we are in the night. We are in the deepest part of the night. We know that Jesus comes walking on the water at the third watch of the night. The darkest hour is just before the dawn. Jesus Christ can come back anytime. I mean, we're so into this thing, it's pathetic. Half of y'all are so sleepy, it's ridiculous. Amen. That's the spirit of sleep, the spirit of slumber. Hurried up, preacher, I got gifts to open up. Work for the night is coming, work through the morning hours, work while the dew is sparkling, work mid-springing flowers, work when the day grows brighter, work in the glowing sun, work for the night is coming, when man's work is done. Just a few more days to labor and we're out of here. They say that in the factory nothing gets done Friday after 3 o'clock. I believe we're at 3 to 4 o'clock on a Friday night getting ready for the weekend when the Lord gets us out of here. Man, you ought to double down. You ought to say, Lord, I'm in this thing. It's time to get something done and labor in the night. But here the Lord shows up amongst these lowly shepherds. You know, he could have showed himself to anybody, couldn't he? He could have gone to the, right to the temple and showed himself uh, to the religious leaders. He could have went to the labor leaders. He could have went to the political leaders. But you know what he went to? Shepherds. Lowly shepherds. Poor 
shepherds. The only thing that benefited being a shepherd is you eat good. And you got good clothes. Amen? Sounds like Baptist preachers. Amen? <laughs> but here the Lord shows up amongst these shepherds there, and as the encounter proceeds, I notice in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, we're coming on. I'm on the last page here. We're almost done. The first thing when the Lord shows up to them shepherds, the first thing he says is fear not. You know what I see here? Today the Lord wants to speak to you. He doesn't want to spook you. Angel of the Lord shows up in the heavenly host. They're like, oh, flipping out, having a coronary. You know what I mean? And the first thing the Lord says to those shepherds is fear not. I'm telling you, today the Lord wants to speak to you. He doesn't want to spook you. He's got something to tell you if you listen. He's not trying to run you off. He's not trying to get you to run some other direction. Remember, ponder the path of thy feet. He just wants to speak to you this morning. He came to the common lowly shepherds. And in Mark 12, 37, we see in his ministry that later the common people heard him gladly. He didn't come to the elite. He didn't come to the ritzy. He didn't come to the rich. He came for common, simple people like you and me. He'd be announced by John the Baptist as, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. You ever wonder why he came to the shepherds? Lowly, insignificant shepherds? Because he was announced as the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Brother Peter saying about that Lamb, he laid down his life, 1 John 3.16, that's the Apostle John. He laid it down himself. And how did he do it? By shedding his own blood, 1 Peter 1.18, the precious blood as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. I know why I came to the shepherds, because the shepherds would understand when they heard, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. Can I say this here in closing this morning? Your problem here today is not a family problem. Your problems here today are not a financial problem. Oh, preacher, you and I need to talk about that one. It's not a financial problem. It's not a family problem. It's not a career problem. A preacher, if I could just get this job here, I'd be in a much better situation and I could come to church more and I could serve the Lord more if I could just get... Stop, it's not a career problem. I've been a lifelong student of the Word of God and just recently after uh, getting a different degree, the Lord said, you need to go back to school. You know what the Lord's telling me? It's not a college problem. It's not a college problem. It's not a cash problem. It's not a career problem. You say, what is it? It's a sin problem. Your problem today is not your family, it's not your finances, it's not your cash, how much you got, it's not your career. It's a sin problem. You say, well, that's a great little Christmas message there, preacher. Now what? That's why you and I need Jesus Christ. You need that Jesus Christ that's in the manger. Not only was he born to die, but he was born so that you could live. And your sin problem can only be fixed by receiving the Savior, which is Jesus Christ the Lord. Your problem will never be solved by joining a church. Somebody say amen right there. 
I didn't even preach about joining the church. Why? Because I figured the Lord's going to bring who he wants. You get some people getting up preaching about joining the church, joining the church, and you get about 300 people in the church, and half of them don't even want to be there. That sounds like a recipe for disaster. I'm like, now what are you going to do? Because now they can vote. See you, preacher. <laughs> it's not joining a church. That was funny. You can laugh. It's not a church. It's not about joining a church. It's about your relationship with Jesus Christ. The only thing that can fix your sin problem, listen today, if you're not saved, is by trusting the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Is by believing on Jesus Christ. The only thing that can fix your sin problem, if you are saved, is determining that you need to come and get things right with God and you need to renew your fellowship with Him. That's a sin problem. As Miss Kern comes to play this morning, and as we recall and remember the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, can I just say it's more than just a baby in a manger, but there's a Savior for every sinner. And you and I need that Savior. We need that Savior more than we need our family. Listen, I know I just swore in the ears of some of y'all, but you need the Savior. You need Jesus Christ more than you need your family. You need Jesus Christ more than you need a job. You need Jesus Christ to get you from here to tomorrow. As she begins to play, will you come receive Him today? Christian, will you come this morning, recommit your loyalty and service to Jesus Christ? Considering what he's done for you, will you come and just spend time with the Son of God this morning? As the organ plays, come talk to Jesus Christ. Don't wait, just come. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. He came for you and he came for me. Come get a hold of Jesus Christ this morning.